the first couple of weeks, I talked about what boldness is, and I gave you a definition. I'm not sure if this is on your notes or not, but the definition of boldness is this. Boldness is behavior born out of belief. Let me say that again. Boldness is behavior born out of belief. And so we've been talking about a bunch of different things about boldness. Last week, I asked Pastor Bruce to share with us, and we kind of took a little sidetrack from this topic, and he was talking about families and uh, how important ministry to families is. And uh, I I just have to be honest with you, I was a little bit offended by Pastor Bruce, and so um, I'm going to get him back a little bit today, all right? Are you all right with that? Because he was mocking my very cool Kindle, and he thought he was hot stuff because he has an iPad, and... um, If you were here, I don't know if you noticed what I noticed, but there were quite a few times that uh, he just set his iPad down like he didn't know what it was for, you know? And so um, I'm not, I think he was just picking at me for, for the sake of picking at me. So I did a little investigation and I actually found home video of Pastor Bruce having a conversation with his daughter about the iPad. And in this video, she asked him, Dad, how do you like your iPad? Now, the Monforton family speaks German in the home, so you won't be able to understand this conversation, but you'll get the gist of it. Okay, take a look. Sag mal, Papa, habe ich dich noch gar nicht gefragt. Wie kommst du eigentlich mit dem neuen iPad zurecht, was wir dir zum Geburtstag geschenkt haben? Gut. Mit den ganzen Apps kommst du klar? Was denn für Apps? Geh mal bitte einen Schritt zur Seite. You'll notice Pastor Bruce is much older than I am too, right? Now, one of the things that Pastor Bruce shared last week, uh, and I, I want to be serious for just a minute, uh, one of the things that he shared was a, st- a statistic. I always get messed up with that word. He shared a statistic with us that may have hit some of you pretty hard. And, and I just want to flash this up on the screen again, uh, what he said last week. He said, statistics show that if we don't teach the gospel and help people find Jesus before they turn 13, there's an 80% chance that they won't ever walk with God. And when he shared that statistic with us last week, in my heart I said, oh no, you didn't just share that statistic. And the reason why I said that in my heart was for this reason. I know that this is true. It's statistically true. But the reason I don't like to talk about that statistic is because this is what I think happens in many, many churches. We grab hold of that statistic and so we say, we've got to focus all of our efforts on kids and youth because we've got to get them saved before it's too late. But the problem I have with that is this, and and we absolutely need good ministry to families. Don't get me wrong. We absolutely do. I'm so thankful for Pastor Bruce and his team that are reaching our kids. But the problem is we can't assume that just because this statistic is true that we don't have a responsibility to reach adults. Do you hear what I'm saying? There is still a huge mission field that we are responsible for 
through the power of the Holy Spirit to reach them. Do you remember the very first week that we were talking about being bold, uh, we talked about Acts 1, verse 8, in which Jesus said this, and I think it's up on the screen, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me back in the Sunday school rooms. That's not what Jesus said. He said, you will be my witnesses telling me, telling people about me where? Everywhere. Friends, we've got to understand that Jesus has put us on a mission to help people reconnect with God. And that's one of the reasons why I believe we need increased boldness. We need the boldness to speak boldly. We need the boldness to obey boldly. We need the boldness to be full of the Holy Spirit and not ashamed and go around telling people everywhere about Jesus. And it doesn't matter if only 20% of them come to Jesus as an adult. We've got to seek them out and find them. And, And this was a thought that just occurred to me. Maybe the reason that in America... There aren't very many adults coming to Jesus is because most churches are only sharing Jesus with kids and teens. We need to be different. This is a place where you could say really loud amens and you're missing your opportunity. Are you on mission this morning? I want to talk with you this morning about bold speaking. And I want to challenge us all, myself included today, that we can be bolder. Let me tell you a story about a friend of mine. His name is Bob Unterseer. He's actually Vicki Riojas' older brother. And I met Bob and his wife, Sharon, I don't know, probably 12, 13, 14 years ago when he and his wife joined our staff at the church I was working at up in Great Falls. And Bob, from the very beginning, was kind of one of these quirky fellows. And, and uh, he, he's very, very different from me. But when, when he and his wife joined our staff, they wanted to get to know us. And so Bob and Sharon invited Chris and me to a picnic out on a ranch uh, east of Great Falls. And he said, we're going to get some people together. We're going to have a big picnic. We're just going to have a good time. And he said, would you and Chris ride in our car with us out to this picnic? And we said, absolutely. And so we piled into the car. And as many times we do, the boys sat in the front and the girls sat in the back. And uh, we drove out to this ranch. And uh, pretty soon we found ourselves on a dirt road. And we were driving through this series of gates to get to where we were going to have this, this picnic lunch overlooking the river, and it was just a beautiful spot. But we had to go through all of these gates. And so Bob was driving. The girls were jabbering in the back seat. And so my job was to jump out of the car every time we got to a gate and unlatch it and open the gate, let the car drive through, then close it, latch the gate, and jump back into the car. And I think we did this four or five times until we got to the picnic spot. Then we had our lunch, and we were enjoying each other's company, and then we decided to go back. And by the time we were leaving, the sun was beginning to set. And so, again, as we drove out, it was the same system. Every time we got to a gate, I would jump out of the car, open the gate, let the car go through, close the gate, latch it, and and move on. And when we got to one of the last gates, I was getting a little tired or loopy or something. I don't really know where my head was. But I got out, and instead of pushing the gate open, Uh, I, I, for some reason, pulled the gate towards me, opened it wide, let the car go through, and then I pushed it closed. And as soon as I did, I realized I'm on the wrong side of the gate and I can't get into the car. 
And I'm feeling kind of silly, right? And so I kind of laughed to myself, and nobody in the car was really paying any attention, but, but I realized I have to open the gate the other way to get to the car, and so I, I unlatched it, pushed the gate open, and as soon as I did, I heard... And I looked down, I'm not even exaggerating, no more than three feet in front of me, right where I would have stepped if I had opened the gate the right way was a rattlesnake coiled up. He was huge. And there's this going on. And it just panicked me. So I start doing this, you know, and I'm... And, and, and I push the gate as hard as I could, and I'm yelling, snake, snake, and I'm dancing around. And I run up to the car, and uh, the gate's still open. I know I have to shut the gate, but there's this giant rattlesnake right there where I'd have to close the, the gate. And, and I almost stepped on him. I mean, I would have stepped on him. And so I jumped in the car. I said, Bob, there's a rattlesnake right at the gate. And he said, okay, we'll kill it with the car. So he throws, he throws the car in reserve, reverse. <clears throat> And he backs up, and we can feel this thump, and the girls in the back scream, ah! And, um, and then he pulls forward, and then reverse again, screaming, ah! Forward, back, ah! Forward, back, ah! And when we were sure that the snake was killed, we jumped out to investigate, and sure enough, there's this big dead rattlesnake on the ground, and Bob had killed the snake. And then Bob says this, and it just cracked me up. He said, I need the rattles for a souvenir. And I said... So how are you going to get the rattles off the snake? He said, I've got a machete in my trunk. And so he, he opens the trunk up, and here he's got this, like, s- ceremonial samurai sword from, like, a souvenir shop in Japan or something. I don't know. Who carries one of those in their trunk, right? And he takes it out, and he just hacks at the snake, and the, the, the rattles fly off into the brush, and they're just gone. And we laughed, and we laughed, and we laughed. And this morning I was thinking, you know, if it had been a few years later, if this had happened to me just recently, we would have been out there with our iPhones taking pictures, right? And it would have been on Facebook all over, and this big bloody dead snake would have been on Facebook. And then, I I don't know, I I imagine some of my Facebook friends would have been congratulating my bravery for killing the snake. I wasn't very brave. Uh, And some of my friends, who are a little more politically correct, would have said, how could you kill one of the creatures that God created. Now, I, I know we have people, even in our Connect Church family, who love snakes. I can't see Gabe. He's somewhere. He loves snakes. There you go. Okay, Gabe would have been on my Facebook saying, how could you kill a perfectly innocent God-created snake? I was killing the snake to protect myself, right? And, and I had to be bold, even as I'm doing this, right? Here's what I believe is true. I believe sometimes that political correctness has, has snuck into our everyday lives. And we have forgotten that there are predators that are seeking to destroy every one of us that walk this planet. There are spiritual predators that want us to spend eternity in hell. They don't want us to be reconnected with God. And if we're really going to be on mission, if we really understand the sacrifice of Jesus, we have got to become people of boldness, snatching people out of the snares of the spiritual enemy that we all face. But unfortunately, many of us adopt a stance something like this. I don't really want to offend anyone. Have you ever felt this way? I don't want to offend anybody, so I'm going to let my life be a witness. 
Now, you may have said that. You may have thought that. I have certainly said and thought that. Why? Because I don't want to offend. I'm afraid of upsetting the apple cart. I don't want somebody to be offended. And I forget sometimes that all eternity is at stake. And just like I killed, well, I didn't kill, Bob killed the snake. We need to be rescuing people from the predators in their spiritual lives. If you're taking notes this morning, uh, I think no cards have gone out or you might have picked one up. Uh, You can also follow along on your Connect Church app on your smartphone or on your iPad. What I want to say to you today, the main point that I hope you'll go away with today is this. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. Now, we certainly see this in the book of Acts. All the time in the book of Acts, we see this word bold jumping out again and again. In Acts chapter 9, we read this about Saul, who became the apostle Paul. It says, so Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He wasn't worried about the opposition that was coming. Acts chapter 14, it says, the disciples remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord and bore witness to the word of his grace. In Acts chapter 4, where we're going to camp out a little bit for today, we read this. When they had prayed, there's a whole bunch of disciples all together. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God. How? With boldness. Say the word bold, would you? Say it boldly. All right. They spoke the word with boldness. How bold are you? How bold am I? If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, or if you'd like to follow along on an electronic device, would you turn to the book of Acts chapter 4? We've been kind of camping out in Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5 the last few weeks. And uh, if you haven't been with us, let me just catch you up on what's been happening in the story. Peter and John, in Acts chapter 3, we read that they were in the temple area, and uh, they were boldly speaking in the name of Jesus. And as they were walking around this, this worship area, they came upon a man who had been lame since the time he was very, very young. And they would carry him in, people would carry him in, and he would beg for alms. I imagine he was probably playing a Gibson guitar and had his guitar case open there, and, and people would throw dollars and coins and stuff in there. And, uh, and he was a beggar, but everybody in the community knew this guy because he was there all the time. He had been lame, the Bible says, for 40 years. This was nothing new. But when the apostles came close, Peter and John, when they came close to him, he asked them for a donation, and they said, listen, we don't have any money to give you, but what we do have, we will give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Some of you are shaking your heads. You know this story. They told him to get up and walk in the name of Jesus. And he immediately, the Bible says, began walking and jumping and leaping. This guy that had been lame for 40 years. And so the people began giving glory to God. And the the disciples were saying, this happened because of the power of Jesus. Now, this was the politically incorrect thing to do, right? Right? 
And so they were arrested, and the temple leaders brought them in. There's a trial. This all happened very, very fast. Nothing like American politics. And, uh, and, and they put them on trial, and, 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 and the, the disciples defended themselves and, and continued to explain this was the power of Jesus undoubtedly. And this is what's been happening. We're going to pick up the story now, Acts chapter 4, if you're with me, starting at verse 16. The council members gathered together and they said, what should we do with these men? They asked each other. Then I love this. They say, we can't deny that they've performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. Isn't that cool? I love that because here they were, um, they were essentially saying, we don't believe it. We don't believe Jesus is alive. We don't believe Jesus has any power. We, we don't understand it, but we can't deny it. Something happened. This guy was lame for 40 years. Now he's working. We can't explain it. We can't deny it. It's awesome. And listen, some of you that have been walking with Christ for a long time, you know of stories like this. You've probably experienced stories like this. I was healed a number of years ago of a bone spur on my elbow. And, and I've told this story before, but it was an awesome thing. Chris and I and another young man had gone up to Edmonton uh, to play in the water slides up in Edmonton. Anybody ever been up there? Awesome. And, and let me tell you, it's a dangerous thing for a 300-pound 300 300 300 man, 300-pound man to go barreling down water slides, but I love to do it. And... Uh, and I came down this water slide in Edmonton, and, uh, and they, you know, they've got these nice deep pools for the big slides, and, and, and they've got big rubber mats to protect you from the cement. I came barreling 300 pounds of human flesh down the slide, completely overshot the rubber mat, and hit my elbow on the cement bottom of the pool. Now, uh, when, when the very ugly flesh wound healed... That's a whole other story. But when the very ugly flesh wound healed, I developed a bone spur right on the tip of my elbow. So anytime I'm eating dinner and I disobeyed my mom and put my elbows on the table, it would be this incredible pain. And then I developed a bursa. You know what a bursa is? It's like a little fluid sac that develops over something that's, that's injured. And I developed that and it was squishy and yucky and had this big bump on my elbow. And I finally went to the doctor and he said, you're going to need surgery to have that thing removed. So I was all preparing for surgery, and I'm mad, and why did this happen to me? And just before surgery was supposed to happen, I thought, I'm going to ask my small group to pray for me. It was just a spur-of-the-moment thing. We were in a small group meeting. We were closing up. We were sharing prayer needs, and I said, guys, I'm going to have surgery for this bone spur on my elbow. Would you lay hands on my elbow and ask God to heal me? So they did. They prayed. As soon as they were done praying, I felt the bone spur was still there. The squishy bursa was still there. And then I forgot about it. And about three or four days later, I thought, I don't remember feeling that pain in my elbow. And I touched it. It was completely gone. God had miraculous healed me. It didn't happen just like this, but it happened over a period of days. So subtly that I didn't even notice. But God, there was no medical explanation for why that bone spur and the bursa disappeared. But God had healed me. Some of you have had those kinds of experiences. Some of you have had marriages that were on the rocks and you didn't know what to do. You didn't know where to go. You turned to God. You began to pray together. You began to read the scriptures and God healed your marriage. It's true, isn't it, Dan and Lynn? God healed your marriage. 
Some of you have had kids or grandkids that have been far from God and, and, and involved in all kinds of stuff, and they've been a mess. And your kids have tapped into Jesus, and Jesus has transformed their lives. And it's been the power of Jesus, a miracle. You can't explain it. It's just been the miraculous power of Jesus. Some of you have had all kinds of different experiences as Jesus has transformed you. Some of you have been addicted to drugs or alcohol. Some of you have been in prison. Uh, Bill uh, Conkler, where are you, Bill? I keep telling your story. He's with kids. You guys know Bill. He, he found Jesus in prison. The Lord transformed his life. Doesn't make any sense. People that work in the penal system know that everybody finds Jesus in prison, but nobody lives for him when they leave. Bill is an example of somebody that had a miraculous transformation with Jesus. And this is what happened with this guy. He couldn't walk for 40 years, but Jesus healed him when the apostles were bold enough to speak healing in his name. He's playing hopscotch, and they can't figure it out. Let's keep reading if you've got your Bibles. Uh, verse 17. So it says, But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further... They said, we must warn them not to speak in anyone in, in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and they commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Do you hear what they say? We cannot stop. They didn't say, well, let me, let me think about it. Let me, let me weigh the pros and cons. They didn't say, let me pray about it for a couple of weeks. They said, listen, we believe so passionately, we believe so deeply that we cannot stop telling everything that we've seen and heard. We cannot stop speaking boldly because we believe so deeply. And listen, this ought to be true of us as well. And, and, and in a way, really, it is true of all of us. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. We, we speak boldly about the movies we love, right? Chris and I went and saw Les Mis this Friday night, and we've been talking about it ever since. Loved Les Mis. Great music. Beautiful. Russell Crowe, not so much. But um, great film. We talk about restaurants that we like, or, or probably more often if you've had a bad experience, you speak boldly. Don't go to that place. Anybody been to the new Olive Garden yet? Good, bad? Boldly good? All right, see, you're, you're very bold, right? Uh, I'm not a hunter, but many of you are, and you speak boldly about the elk you bagged, right? And you're excited about that, about that kill. Uh, we speak boldly about sports. Uh, we, we don't have a problem speaking about the teams we like. Go Seahawks. All right, not so many of us. <laughs> but we speak boldly about what we believe deeply. So let me give you four things today that I believe we ought to be speaking boldly about because we believe deeply. Here's number one. Because I believe so deeply, I can't help but speak boldly to myself. Because I believe so deeply, I can't help but speak boldly to myself. Here's what 1 Samuel 30 says. Uh, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Would you just read that verse out loud with me? But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. 
If you've ever read the story of David in the Old Testament, it's, a, it's an interesting story. It's a long story. Uh, he, was, he was one of the youngest sons of a man by the name of Jesse. And from an early age, he was gifted by the Lord. He was gifted as a songwriter. In fact, he wrote many of the Psalms that you'll find in the book of Psalms in your Bible. He was a worshiper. He loved God. And the Spirit of God was upon him. And he, from time to time, had these extraordinary experiences, miraculous experiences. And I can imagine there were times when he was facing difficult situations like the time after he became king that his son challenged him for the throne. And he would encourage himself in the Lord his God and he would say, I remember the time that in the power of the Lord, I killed the lion and the tiger. I can imagine that there were times when he would say, I remember the time when the giant Goliath was threatening our nation Israel. And I said, there's no way some uncircumcised Philistine is going to take us down. That was bold. That was funny, but you didn't get it. Um, There's no way that this is going to happen. And so he took a couple of stones and a slingshot killed the giant. He would encourage himself with those memories. Listen, David didn't have the Bible like we have it. He might have known the five books of Moses, that were written early, early in the, in the history of Israel, but the Bible was still being revealed and written by men at, at his time. He had to encourage himself in what he knew God had done in the past. And sometimes that's the way we have to encourage ourselves. How has God rescued you? How has God encouraged you? How has God healed you? Or we are so privileged to have 66 books in the Bible that we can read and encourage ourselves in the truth of the Scripture. This last week, I, I met with uh, a guy who's fairly new to Connect Church, and we were talking, and he's been struggling in some different areas, and he was saying that the Lord has given him opportunities from time to time, and he doesn't feel like he has, has really taken full advantage of, of the opportunities God has given him, and he feels guilty, and he feels ashamed. And at one point in our conversation, he said to me, uh, you know that those verses in the Bible where Paul says, I don't do what I know I should do, and I do do the things that I know I shouldn't do. He said, that's kind of how I feel. And those verses are from Romans chapter 7. I said, yeah, Romans chapter 7. I said, I I know exactly what that says, and I know how that feels. And I said to him, do you sometimes just live there in Romans chapter 7? He said, yeah. And I said, let me encourage you. Do you know what Romans chapter 8 says? Romans 8, chapter 1 starts out with, now there is no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ. No condemnation. I'm trying to quickly pull it up on my phone, but of course that won't happen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I said, listen, you got to get out of Romans chapter 7 and get into Romans chapter 8. And I told him, I have read Romans chapter 8 probably thousands of times in my life. I have memorized most of it. I could quote it, most of it for you. And listen, when I'm down, when I'm discouraged, when I'm facing battles that I don't know how to face, I just camp out and live in Romans chapter 8. In fact, I just preach myself whole sermons from Romans chapter 8. And I jump from Romans 8.1 to 8.11 and on, and I preach myself sermons. Sometimes I preach so good I give myself an offering. That's how good I am. (laughs) And listen, because I believe so deeply that there is now no condemnation, 
I can't help but speak boldly to myself when I feel the enemy of my soul coming and preaching condemnation at me. I encourage myself in the Lord. That's number one. Here's number two. Because I believe so deeply, I can't help but encourage you. I can't help but encourage you. Hebrews 3.13 says this, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. I think that's kind of a quirky little verse, right? But if you think about it, it's pretty cool. You know, what, what's today called? Well, we could say it's called Sunday, but really we say today, right? Today is today. And, and the writer of this verse is saying, as long as today is today, keep encouraging one another in the Lord. Encourage each other daily. This week I got a couple of text messages and an email from somebody at Connect that I love deeply, and, and she's going through a really difficult time and uh, just really struggling. She's in a business venture that isn't going well, and she's discouraged and a little depressed and sad and wounded. And I wrote back to her, and I just said, you are a woman of God. You're a woman of God, and the Lord will not let you fall. He hasn't dropped you yet. He will not let you fall. And I just felt I have to encourage her. I have to build her up because I believe it deeply. I'm not sure that she can see that she is a woman of God, but I can see it in her, so I'm going to encourage it. I'm going to speak it into her life. I remember so clearly, I remember like it was yesterday when I was, uh, when I was a young I don't know, 19, 20-year-old kid in Bible school. And I was taking a class that I felt like was so out, out of my reach. I've always, I've always been a musician. I knew I was good at music, but I was taking some ministry classes, wondering if maybe God would, would gift me to be a pastor. And I was taking a class that was so beyond my reach. And this particular class, it was taught by a professor that I really respected. His name was Dr. Brady. And uh, at the end of the class, he led the class in prayer, and we were all deeply engaged, and we could feel the Spirit of the Lord in the room. And uh, when the prayer was over, it was silent. And I felt like I heard God just reveal some truth to me. So I raised my hand, and I said, Dr. Brady, can I share something? And he said, yes. So I just shared what I felt like the Lord had revealed to me as we were praying. And it, 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 was, just, it was just a thought that I wanted to share with everyone. And as soon as I was done speaking, he said, Russ, I believe the Lord has given you a word of prophecy that we all needed to hear. No one had ever said anything like that to me. I didn't know that God could use me to speak powerfully and prophetically and reveal truth to someone. I didn't know that God would ever use me that way, but it started something in my life. That word of encouragement has stayed with me forever, for all these years, 25, 26 years or more, has stayed with me, and I, it changed my life simply because somebody encouraged me. He believed deeply that something was true, and he couldn't help but speak it boldly. Can you do that for your friends and your loved ones? Speak boldly the words of encouragement. Here's number three. This one isn't quite so happy. This one's a little more difficult. Because I believe so deeply, I can't help but lovingly correct you. I can't help but lovingly correct you. Everyone say lovingly. That's the key word in that sentence. Lovingly. Proverbs 27, 6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What does that mean? 
It's saying people that aren't really out for your best interest will flatter you all the time, but somebody who really loves you will lovingly bring correction to you. Say lovingly. Listen to me carefully. Don't go out and be a jerk in the name of Jesus. There's plenty of people doing that. Don't go out and hold up a sign saying that you're going to hell and that God hates fags. That's not bold. That's just stupid. Don't get on Facebook and start spouting a whole bunch of religious garbage and and holier-than-thou stuff, hoping that somebody will see it and be convicted by the Holy Spirit because you're too brave to go and you're too, too weak to go and have a meeting with them in person. That's not brave. That's stupid. It's not bold. It's stupid. Don't be that jerk husband who uses the Bible as a sword to cut up his wife. There's plenty of people doing that. That's not that that's not bold that's abuse when husbands are just carving up their wives using the bible as a sword it's not biblical correction biblical correction is when you have somebody in your life that you know well who has stepped outside the boundaries that the bible has revealed for us and you love them enough not because you're better than them but because you love them and you correct them with gentleness and love and compassion. I've had people come to me and say, Russ, I love you too much to let you continue on this course. Can I, can I gently bring you back into the path that God wants you to have? And, and when it's been done lovingly and compassionately, I've responded with, with grace and, and thankfulness that somebody loved me enough to do that. But we don't need to beat people up over the head. They need loving correction. Say lovingly. You might have a girlfriend who is trashing on her husband all the time and she just has nothing good to say about him. And you can see that she's destroying her marriage by just bad-mouthing him all the time to all of the people in her life. You can lovingly bring correction to her, but it's going to take a little bit of boldness. There might be someone in your life that has an addiction to drugs or alcohol or pornography or something that's destroying them from the inside out and you can see it but they have a blind spot and you can come alongside them and say listen I'm not better than you I battle my own demons but let me tell you what I see and let me help you get back on the path that's loving correction you might have a friend in your small group or in your circle of friends who's considering leaving his wife to chase a younger girl And you can lovingly come alongside him and say, listen, I'm not better than you. I face the same temptations as you. But listen, it's not worth losing your family over. And you believe it deeply, and so you speak about it boldly. The scenarios are, 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 there's a million scenarios, but we need people who are bold enough to lovingly correct one another. That's part of what it is to be bold. Lovingly, say lovingly. You got it, right? Don't be a jerk in the name of Jesus. You can write that down if you want to. I liked that line. Here's number four. Because I believe so deeply, I can't help but lead you toward Christ. This is probably the most important one. Because I believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, because I believe that he has changed my life, because I've experienced his transformation in my life, I can't help but lead you 
to Jesus. Acts 4.20, one more time, we read it earlier. It says, we cannot stop telling about everything that we've seen and heard. We cannot stop telling. Has Jesus really transformed you? Or do you come to this place on Sunday mornings just because it's part of your weekly routine and you feel like you're supposed to? If Jesus has changed you, you can't help but tell people about it. You can't stop telling about what Jesus has done for you. This is why just about every Sunday, I invite people to make a decision to follow Christ. It's because Jesus has changed me. And I know that I couldn't have become who I am without his empowerment, without his transformation. His power has changed me. I have to tell you all about it. And I have to invite you to join me on the journey. I can't stop telling about it. Listen, I grew up in a church where, where tradition was more important than having a relationship with Jesus where we just punched our time cards every week. I, I grew up in a church where uh, going to church was like going to another country. I couldn't invite my friends to come to church because they sang music that was so weird that you couldn't figure it out, and, and all the language that they used was so encoded with Christianese that you couldn't decipher what anybody was trying to say. It was just weird. And listen, I'm driven to help people understand who Jesus is, what he did, and how he can change your life. I'm driven because I believe it so deeply. And so I boldly talk about what I believe to be true. Can you join me on that same mission? Can you join me in boldly telling people what Jesus has done for you, what you believe deeply, and help them to reconnect to God? I heard one amen. amen. Who's with me? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Jesus, so many of us in this room would honestly say, you have changed me. You have transformed me miraculously, Lord, you have taken this, this failure of a human being and you have forgiven me, you have washed me, you have made me holy, not because I've achieved something, but because you just washed me and cleaned me and made me holy. You just, you just said it. he's holy. You, you've transformed me. So many of us have experienced that. But Jesus, there's still something within us that makes us afraid to boldly proclaim what we deeply believe. Jesus, this is the mission that you've set us on. You have given us the mission of helping people reconnect to God. And Lord, will you now, in these moments in which we just bow our heads and pray, will you fill us, Lord, with such deep belief, Lord, that we cannot stop telling people the truth. Keep us on mission, Jesus. And Lord, when we're discouraged, will you help us to encourage ourselves with truth from Scripture, with truth from what you've done in the past? When we have loved ones around us that are discouraged, will you help us to be edifiers, people who build them up and encourage them and help them on, on their journey? Lord, when we're around people who have walked outside of the boundaries that the Bible gives us for how to walk with Jesus. Will you help us 
to lovingly correct them. Help us, Lord, not to be jerks in the name of Jesus. There's plenty of those in the world. Help us to be people of love and grace. And help us, Lord, to be bold. Thank you, Lord. 